Thank you. A very good morning to all of you. To those in the sanctuary, a very good morning to you. Okay. Uh, we're going to continue our series, uh, sermon series on the book of Romans. So today's passage is taken from chapter 3, verse 27 to chapter 4, verse 25. Just let me read to you portion of the scripture. Uh, those I feel that it's more important for us to highlight because it's a very long passage. Okay, reading from verse 27, chapter 3. Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Chapter 4, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And now I jump to verse number 16. Verse 16, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him was written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. So we have read about Abraham who was justified by faith. But for us, you and me today, what does faith mean? Some say it's food always in the home. The slide's coming up. Food always in the home. But having said that, I'm not justifying or I'm not encouraging all of us to go and stockpile food in your house. This was pre prepared before the death court. Not death corn. The dose corn, you see. It was changed from yellow to orange. That's just a play of words. 
But some say faith is also like Wi-Fi. It's invisible, but it has the power to connect to what you need. Or as what Martin King Jr. have said, faith is taking the first step even when we don't see the whole staircase. And I think that's what Abraham did. He took the first step when he didn't see the whole staircase. So I titled today's sermon as Faith Assurance in Trusting Him. F-A-I-T-H. So how can we find that assurance and trust God today, especially in this time of turbulent and uncertainty, um, uncertain future that what awaits us? But I'm sure we can look at that at Scripture and in Paul's writing. And here in Paul's writing, he really starts off with this thing about boasting, about human pride. The act of boasting is actually an indicator of our human weakness and our pride that needs to be put to death. Actually, even the world tells us that boasting is not good. A Japanese proverb says, Boasting begins where wisdom ends. M.C says, The fool talks about what he is going to do. The boaster talks about what he has done. And the wise man does and say nothing. So what more about us as followers of Christ? When we see boasting in our life, we truly need to turn quickly to the gospel of God and remind ourselves that there is actually no room to boast because God has done it all. He has done everything for us. which is found in Galatians 6.14 But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, Paul himself as a Jew could also boast in keeping to strict laws. He said this in Philippians 3, 4-10, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to, the, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. You know, who here can say that they are blameless? Quite a high, tall order. But Paul could actually boast all this, but he went on to explain himself. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I count, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His suffering, sufferings becoming like him in his death. So what happened when Paul met Jesus? At the encounter, when Paul met Jesus, Paul saw what is real righteousness. He took all these accomplishments that he had, you know, the high standards of being blameless, and threw them out the window. He turned to become a zealous for true righteousness because he saw the value and the power in it that comes to Jesus Christ by faith. And this sets the context for us today. If we can't look at our own actions to boast, what can we look at? And here we look at Abraham, who is our example, because Abraham has found assurance 
not in Abraham's works, not in his own works. For, for scripture tells us, Abraham believed God and God credited him as righteous because of his faith. And this is actually a quote um, from Genesis 15.6. God promised Abraham a son and then Abraham believed in the Lord and God counted to Abraham as righteousness. So the words credited in Romans and counted in Genesis, or in some translation use the word reckon, are actually the same in meaning. The same word, uh, it literally means to charge up a debt. And here, if you are a Jew at that point of time, in the minds of the Jews, they are actually thinking about circumcision. Okay? And circumcision which has something to do with Abraham's righteousness before God. But Paul says that actually Abraham credited as righteous when he believed. He has nothing to do with circumcision. God didn't owe the ungodly Abraham anything and there was nothing Abraham could do to work for his credit of righteousness. Because Romans 3 verse 10 says, There is none righteous, not even one. So however, Abraham believed God and that allowed God to impute this righteousness to him. So Paul argues this case by using Abraham to show us how God can give us righteousness through faith in Christ. That is, God gives us what we don't deserve. The other part of... of so for one, on one hand, God gives us what we don't deserve. On another hand, through David, King David, God shows us that He doesn't give us what we do deserve. See, David also speaks of a blessing of the man, which is himself, um, of this righteousness apart from works. And in, in Romans 4, 7-8, to Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. The sin, our sin, the Lord will not take into account. And this comes from Psalms 32. It's written by King David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered. So, on one hand, God gave Abraham what he didn't deserve and he didn't give David what he did deserve. And that is grace. Another way to look at grace, mercy and justice is through this story of a little boy who said, if a cop pulls you over for speeding and gives you a ticket, that's justice. If a cop pulls you over for speeding and gives you a warning, that's mercy. If a cop pulls you over for speeding, and gives you a crispy cream donut, that's grace. Maybe today a mask will be better instead of a donut. But grace then is the unexpected good news, right? When you get caught by a cop and he gives you and lets you off, that's really grace. Instead of a cop serving out the punishment, or God serving out the punishment that we deserve, he offers Jesus to us as the unparalleled blessing. That's the grace that has been given to us. In short, you know, God's righteousness is the only hope for a man's salvation, regardless of our actions, regardless of our heritage. Therefore then, how can then, how can we boast in light of all this? Something for us to think about and even answer maybe in our class meeting is this question, if we look back at our life, were there instances where God gave you something you didn't deserve. 
or didn't give you something that you deserve. I think in my life, there are many instances where I can remember and recount that God has saved me, you know, saved me from getting into trouble, helped me out of the situation which I cannot explain. I'm sure in your life, there are many instances too that you have received this grace from God. You cannot, maybe you cannot even explain how and why it happened. So share that, you know, encourage one another that God is real in your life. And as you hear from other people sharing, your faith too will be encouraged and strengthened. So we move on to the second question from the end of chapter 3. The sign of the Jews was actually circumcision. And the question then is, is the blessing, is the blessing on the Jews only or is it also on the Gentiles? Another interesting question is, was Abraham righteous when he was a Jew? Was he considered righteous while he was only a Gentile? The answer is quite straightforward. It's written in the scripture that Abraham was a Gentile, so to speak, you know, because he received the credit of righteousness before he was circumcised. And as the passage has mentioned, we claim that lineage from Abraham through faith, through faith, not through circumcision, because circumcision alone isn't enough. It wasn't even the law too, because the law wasn't even revealed then. The law was revealed. I don't know how many generations, I haven't even counted the number of generations after Abraham at the point when Moses received the law from God. So from the very onset, you know, this is actually the faith that was the only requirement for the credit of righteousness. The law had nothing to do with it. The law is incapable of manifesting righteousness. Even if he had begin to reveal, it will only reveal that Abraham was an unworthy sinner. Just like us today, the law will also reveal us to be unworthy sinners. Dr. Phil Williams once said, the law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, not the broom that sweeps it clean. Let me repeat if the slides can catch up. The, Dr. Phil Williams once said, the law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, not the broom that sweeps it clean. Therefore, you know, neither circumcision nor the law can credit us to be righteous. See, the promise that is made to us and even to Abraham at that point of time is to be believed by faith. This way, you know, nobody has to worry about earning a credit of righteousness as a wage because it's entirely by grace. And since it's entirely by grace, is guaranteed to be the work of God Himself. How can we then apply that in our life? Because when we recognize that we are credited as righteous by grace, how then should we live our life for God? You know, how then shall we live our life for God? Verse 18 to 25, we see Abraham's faith was in God's ability to fulfill his promise. Abraham believed in the, in the God who gives life to the dead and who calls that into being which does not exist. And here is in the context that Abraham's body was 100 years old. He was unable to give, to produce, to have an offspring. So his body was dead in that sense. Same for Sarah. The womb was dead in that sense. But God promised him, right, to be a father of many nations. He will have many offspring. And rather than doubt, Abraham actually believed in God in his heart. He truly believed that God was able to give life and do the impossible. Abraham is the example. 
And since he's the example and he received the righteousness, which is the same righteousness that we receive today, he believed that God could resurrect his body, his dead body, uh, to deliver a son or a child. We also can believe that God will raise, we also believe that God raised his own son from the dead and that Jesus Christ is the one who died for our sins. Therefore, we can be raised for our own justification. Therefore, actually, if you look at it, the resurrection uh, is very, very important and essential for our Christian walk. For you and me who believe in Jesus, the resurrection is so important. Scripture has mentioned it many times. You know, there are many references to it. But especially so, if you notice in our Holy Communion ritual, we, we proclaim these words, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Because we believe that it's uh, resurrection is essential in our Christian faith. So when we believe in God, we believe in the resurrection, we actually believe in God who can do the impossible. God is able to fulfill His promise to us and we need to trust Him. Just as Abraham has trusted God's promise in the form of resurrection, my question to all of us today is, in what way do we need to trust God in our life? There are situations in your life where it is dead in that sense. There are a lot of dead ends. There's no light. The end of, no light. Um, and it's in need of a resurrection. Could be a recent diagnosis from the doctor, call from your boss, an email from your supervisor telling you that you have been retrenched or another bad news. You know, as we look around the news, here we are filled with negative, negative news all the time. How can we trust in God's promise that He will resurrect your situation? And indeed, He will. Indeed, He will. When Evangelist Gibbs Smith got saved, an elderly gentleman explained to him the importance of trusting Christ alone. Gibbs C. Smith replied, I cannot trust myself, for I am nothing, and I cannot trust in what I have, for I have nothing. I cannot trust in what I know, for I know nothing. So the only thing for him to only thing left for him to trust was actually in Christ Jesus. So what do you have? Do you have nothing left but to trust in Jesus too? Let me end with this analogy that I got from a uh, got from a friend who sent me a message. And this story goes that there's this village that had a drought, a long drought, and um, they got all the villagers, especially the farmers in the village, who gather together for a prayer meeting. It's a church in the village and they called the pastor to come. And all of them gathered and the church was packed. You know, it was packed. So as the pastor started walking to the front of the church to officially begin the meeting, noticed many people talking and chatting along the aisles, which is normal. And when he reached the front, um, he, was, he was trying to quieten the crowd. You know, as the crowd was quieting down, he saw a little girl, an 11-year-old girl, sitting quietly in the front row. Her face was actually beaming with excitement. You know, um, next to her was a very colorful and extremely large umbrella, much bigger than her, in fact. The little girl, um, innocence and beauty, made the pastor smile because of the faith that she had. The prayer meeting was for to pray for rain, and she had the faith to bring an umbrella the prayer meeting. She was the only one there. She came expecting God to answer. She came expecting 
to God for God to show up in the prayer meeting. And that is faith in God. How about our lives? Is there an umbrella in our that we need to have in our life to show faith? And in light of this coronavirus, you know, PM Lee mentioned yesterday that fear and anxiety are natural human reaction. We all want to protect ourselves and our families from this new and unknown virus. And this fear can be a real thing. To say that I am not afraid of the virus, that is not true. But to say that I am terrified of it, that is also not true. In fact, I feel that this is the opportunity for my faith to be tested. To see whether I put my trust um, in what I see others do, or I put my trust in God, who is the provider of all my needs. I want to encourage all of us here today to put our faith in God for us to journey through this situation together. And I would like to encourage all of us here with the verse from Isaiah 41 verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And to overcome fear, we really need faith. We need faith that God will be with us in this journey. Whenever we go in our workplace, in our um, public area, that we, we in our transport as we travel, public transport as we travel, we know that He is with us. He is the God that will strengthen our body and help us um, with our needs. He'll uphold you in a situation that you are in with His righteous right hand. Let us take this time to really turn to God to exercise our faith through prayer intercession. Where we can really come, we can actually come together and seek God. So we can actually keep calm, instead of keeping calm and carry on, which is the famous phrase, we can keep faith and pray on this time of need. Come, let us pray as we go to God. Take some time for you to just have your own short prayer. Ask God to just strengthen your faith in this time of need. Let's pray, Lord, we come to you as your children, as you credit us as righteous in your sight. Lord, you protect us in our need. Protect us from the fears that we have, the anxiety that we have. Lord, as we turn to you, let our faith increase. Let our faith arise. As our faith be tested, may our faith come up stronger than before, Lord. And Lord, at the end of this, we can truly say that your name be glorified. Your name is on high, Lord. So Father, we thank you that we can keep our eyes focused on you in this time of need. Lord, we can praise you and can worship you even more so, and we can run back to you, knowing that you are God, Lord and Saviour. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, in some class meeting questions, uh, there are two class meeting questions I would like to flash out for us to answer during our
class meeting time, the first question is, if you look back at your life, were there instances where God gave you something you didn't deserve or didn't give you something that you deserve? Maybe share the first thing that comes to your mind. just want to encourage one another in, as we have a class meeting time to strengthen our faith. Or question number two, is there a situation in your life where it is, it is dead and in need of a resurrection? Um, is there areas that you need to exercise your faith? Maybe a prayer request or something that you are going through in your workplace or in your life where you need prayer support. So these are the two questions for your um, open sharing and honest sharing in your class to have your faith strengthened.